Welcome to In Context. This is Michael Easley, and it's my delight, my joy, my privilege to have Dr. Jeremiah J. Johnson. I don't know if I've told you the story, Jeremiah, but my close friend in life, Dave Gibson, is HHH handsome and humble Hoot Gibson. <laughs> and my favorite movie is Jeremiah Johnson, so yep. he always calls me Jeremiah Jedediah Johnson. So <laughs> that's awesome. It's irrelevant, but it's, yeah, anyway. I love it. <laughs> Jeremiah is uh, the oh, president my. of the Christian Thinkers Society. We'll talk about that in a moment. He earned his PhD from some little low-life school like <laughs> Oxford. Did you go to Oxford? Middlesex. So yeah, we were in Oxford. OCMS is validated by Middlesex University. So I don't have a DPhil from Oxford, but I did my residency in Oxford. I yeah, but nobody cares yeah, about I that. Know. They just see Oxford and they go, ooh, <laughs> ah, I do. I'm impressed. Yeah. Anyway, but you know, I can read his Vita and all that. And if, if you look on the show notes, you'll find the link to it. But the thing I'm most impressed about is that you and Audrey have got triplets right. along with two other older children. What's it like being a dad of not only five children, but triplets. Well, they're five years old, the triplets are, Dr. E. By the way, I'm just so excited to be on this program. I love you. I've followed you for years. My family and I, we have personally benefited from your ministry, your teaching. Your book on prayer is one that I would just love to talk to you about sometime because it has really ministered to me. Well, that's so very kind thank of you. you. Thank well. you for your incredible ministry tenure and just the, it's a joy for me to be sitting here um, Mutual. talking to you about CTS because yeah, I, yeah. I was just giving you the vision of it you know, years ago when we sat down. Yeah, and we here were in Jay Seculo's yeah. space. It's amazing. And you encouraged me. You know, little is much when God's in it, and you really encouraged us, and I just can't thank you enough. So you encouraged me practically, ministerially, friendship-wise, and uh, it was it was too so, too short of a time, though, together. I wish we would have yeah. had more time. But at any rate, I haven't slept in five years because the triplets are five years old. So, Gosh, <laughs> and, and they had some health challenges. They did. They did. Yeah. It's, it's a powerful story because, you know, we went from one, two, to five. And it's really my wife's story in many ways, but it's why programs like In Context are so vital. You have to have your biblical worldview locked in before you come to those difficult moments in life that we all get to. And Audrey and I find, well, we, it's kind of funny, the sonogram text said ABC123, and I thought, are you singing a Michael Jackson song right now? <laughs> and he said, baby A, baby B, baby C, you have three heartbeats. And Whoa. Audrey's body just started physically shaking. And then the So OB, you had no idea. No, we, we thought there might be twins. Multiples, yeah. Uh -huh. I told Audrey, there's no way uh, that it's going to be triplets. Don't worry about that. So you'd never want me prophesying or anything like that or predicting the weather <laughs> we even don't for that matter. you, though. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Thank you. And so they wouldn't answer our questions. We had to go to a high-risk doctor. And we finally okay. get to the high-risk specialist at Texas Children's. And I wouldn't believe this had I not been in the appointment, but in the first few minutes, the doctor is saying that two of our three are sharing a placenta. They could likely develop TTTS, twin to twin transfer syndrome. And then to use a cultural euphemism, asks Audrey if she wanted to consider a fetal reduction. Reduction, yeah. That's that the was word. the term. And of course, this is where I thank God for your program, Dr. E, because you know, Audrey and I, we have a biblical worldview. And so she didn't look to me or my mom and the appointment. She didn't even look at us. She just said, we will trust the Lord. I don't need to hear anything else about that. And, you know, that was how the triplet pregnancy began. But by God's grace, none of the 80 some odd things that were supposed to go wrong happened. But, you know, we had to live by faith every moment. Right. And the boys were born at 33 weeks. And 
It's been a uh, seven hundred diapers a month at one time. My name's literally, Gold, literally, my seven hundred yes. diapers. I, I tell so people, Hannah, don't feel bad. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I tell people, I, I think my name is gold plated at Costco in Katy, Texas, because they just would see me coming, brother. And uh, seven hundred diapers a month. So you know, we had to get some books written. <laughs> Got a paper. Yeah. So the paper uh, exchange went from diapers to, right. to print medium. That that'll now work. it's school. Yeah, well, <laughs> it just yeah, keeps well, going and yeah, shoes. It never and, stops. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for asking. So. But well, you know, we see some pictures on Instagram from time to time. And, of course, just a beautiful family. Oh, I mean, you. gorgeous wife and gorgeous She's Lily awesome. on their side of glass yeah. here and beautiful sons. It's a great thing to see God's kindness Amen. in your life. I bet there's a lot of hilarity at times. There though. is. We have a sense of humor, so yeah. um, <laughs> you, have, you to. have to. The wheels fall off about once a week. So, <laughs> you know, it's good that God renews us day by day with his grace. We can't live on yesterday's grace. We need it today. So, so it's we're not a lot talking to an academic scholar who doesn't know about about 700 diapers a no, month. No, so you were we could, talking to H. Yeah. I proudly changed hundreds of them. So yeah, yeah. you had to. It was all hands on deck. Well, let's talk about unleashing peace because I bet Audrey probably said, you need to write a book on peace because yeah. I'm going to go crazy. Yeah. By the <laughs> way, worst thing in the world to do if you want to write a book on peace. I've never had more anxiety in my life writing a book on peace, by the way. Just if you hope you don't mind me being transparent here. That's what we're all about, brother. <laughs> I, we're all about. I had yeah. to write this book for myself so I could learn it myself. This is a good point, though. <laughs> Practically, I, and I was just talking to Robert Morgan before we jumped in studio mm, here, who's him. a mutual friend, and your citation of him on Philippians 4. Right. And I was talking to him about, you know, we don't understand how daily our faith must be. Right. And you don't learn anything truly. And just, you know, books, I mean, you and I love to study and read and write, but it's the shoe leather. Right. Exactly. Of, of, you know, and, and the interesting part of that is, you probably never thought I'm going to be a dad of triplets and have to live through that. Right, exactly. But never. <laughs> theology and critical thinking skills are not absent mm, in this right. world. And I, I think that's where you have a great opportunity and a great balance with your ministry. Let's, let's talk about this though, because you dive into this. My point was going to be Rob talks about his own anxiety and studying scripture. Right. Say now, okay, how do I understand this? I may not fix it or mm -hmm. get a total, you know, healing from it, right. but I don't want to live as an anxious person. Right, exactly. And, of course, he lost his wife mm -hmm. two years ago now, and processing through that, we all go through stuff. I want to start with this quote in the preface of your preface from Lewis. Mm. By the way, the book is called Unleashing Peace, Experiencing God's Shalom in Your Pursuit of Happiness. And we're going to talk about the word happy. But you start with a Lewis quote from The Problem of Pain, which is a great book, by the way. Mental pain is less dramatic and physical pain, but it is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than my heart is broken. So that sets a stage for us, a table for us, Jeremiah. Obvious question, you wanted to write about shalom and peace. Why? What were some of the triggers? Your own your own anxiety. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciate you bringing this up because at our ministry, Christian Thinker Society, something that we've done since the very beginning is we've allowed people. And I love how you do this. <laughs> you know, people have so many questions. I've got in my saved catalog. I've got to listen to a bunch more of your theological answers. <laughs> I love that. But we've been asked probably like you thousands of questions. And when we aggregated the questions that we had been asked as a ministry. By far, number one, from Christians, all denominations here, Canada, the UK, by a mile, anxiety, depression, 
any of the associated mental pain was what they felt like they needed an answer to. They weren't necessarily getting it from their pulpit as much as they would like. There wasn't an aisle on mental pain when we used to have Christian bookstores. And as a result, I think it's an underdeveloped yeah, area. This is interesting because the self-help Christian, I mean, there was so much excuse me, garbage right. Uh, right. from positive. so-called, yep. cre- yeah, positive yep. thinking and, and some of right. those conferences people pay thousands to go to. Right. So on the one hand, I, 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 I'm not challenging what you're saying. I'm just curious. Isn't that interesting? Because yeah. It's, yeah. it seems to be, I don't know what your diagnostic is, but I've always said consumerism and materialism have bred anxiety. Yes, absolutely. That's good. It's fostered it in many ways. Because when you go to cultures like Rwanda or Sudan or Nigeria or India, uh, they may have anxiety and fear, but it's not about emotional actualization or writing a book. It's about life and death and health and persecution. Exactly. And at the same time, as a ministry, we're geared up to answer those questions. And what's really cool, Dr. E, is this was before the pandemic. So we had this vision to write a book about God's peace and how do we experience it and how do we relate it to wherever people are at in their life? And then the pandemic hits. It's like, oh my gosh. And so this (laughs) was pre-pandemic. Do you really believe this? Exactly. And, uh, And, you know, a PhD knows a lot about a little. And I'm a gospel scholar. And I love this understanding of shalom from Jesus. And I think it's understudied therefore underdeveloped in the Christian life. And so how do we take this concept that comes through the cut and thrust of the Bible, the entire arc of scripture, 550 times shalom pops up in the Old and New Testament. It was something that captivated me, especially when you study Paul, this dichotomy, this tension that Paul 12 times in 2 Corinthians says he has trouble, and yet he does have the peace and the shalom of God so that he wouldn't trust in himself. Jesus said we would have trouble in John 16. And so all these promises of God's peace. And what I love about you and your teaching is you get us beyond the bumper sticker theology. You get us beyond the quick soundbite hot take. And the problem is we want to have God's peace, but we don't want to do what's necessary to cultivate the peace of okay. God in our lives. Let's define so some terms. Because yeah. you start out with the word happy, and I, you know, I don't pull punches. I went, no, yeah. Yeah. God don't want me to be happy, Jeremiah. Because <laughs> that's the Western exactly. idea of happiness is not the biblical right. idea. So help us out, first yep. of all, with differentiating the way most people think about, oh, I'm happy because I had my favorite pizza place or whatever right. versus biblical happiness. Yeah, it's contentment in every possible scenario. And and Jesus, you know, I love how Phillips translates the Beatitudes. He says happy. It's based Which on Which is that. a good rendering, it is. actually. It, yeah. It's great. Yeah. But but like you said, we're reading it the through Western 21st happy century eyes, not the biblical happiness. Yeah. The biblical happiness is this completeness, wholeness, flourishing. It's this ability to flourish even when I have trouble. It's this ability to stay the course, trusting the Lord. And it doesn't mean that we don't have challenges because every one of us do every single day. But that is the biblical definition, the biblical understanding. We're going to have tribulation in this world, but we can be of good cheer because Christ has overcome the world. And so I wanted to explain, I'm a big immediate steps guy. So that's the biblical concept of shalom. How do we get there? And so I wanted to guide the reader by the hand on how do we get to shalom in our own personal life? What are the immediate steps we can take? Let's understand it theologically from the gospel. And what's really cool is we can tell everyone listening to us today, it is on the authority of God's word. It is God's will for us to live in God's peace. If you have peace with God, Romans 5.1, that's the first step, peace with God, therefore having peace with God, we're justified by faith through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And by the way, there's a lot of religious people that miss that step. (laughs) We have to have peace with God to experience the peace of God. And 
the salvation piece from God, that doesn't increase or decrease. That's our salvation. But what will increase is our shalom, our experience of the peace of God. And so I wanted to guide them through these 14 chapters, through what it takes to try to cultivate a life of peace. And here's the really cool thing that I learned studying this. You know, I wish that you and I could have like Nerf guns and just pellet people with the peace of God. <laughs> uh, but we have to own it, Dr. E, don't we? It is a discipline. That's the word that I kept coming back to and really exemplified and personified first in Jesus, anchored in the Apostle Paul. How do we cultivate a discipline of shalom in our life? I want to come back to John 14, but let me read from your, uh, I think it's your first chapter here. Here's a key thought you write of application. Shalom implies that the blessing of peace with God which includes forgiveness, assurance, and in some cases, perhaps even physical health, will rest on the household that embraces the message of Jesus. Mm, exactly. Really, really, Jeremiah? Yeah, Isaiah 9, 6, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And that's the promise of the gospel to set us free. And that is an experience that because of what Jesus won for us at the cross, he wants us to flourish spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, and we cannot know this peace without God. When I think about what's happening today, you know, all the people that are listening to you right now, Dr. E, they're going to touch their phones 2,000 times a day. They're going to see 10,000 media messages a day. And many of those are believers, and we're seeing these lies all day long. And then we take those lies, and we literally carry those over our life instead of the truth of God's Word. Right. And we don't realize that we can live this life of peace and flourish, even in spite of the obstacles. And so um, the gospel penetrates that for us, and we need to unlock lock that in our life and in our families. We need a plan for shalom. And so that's, that is a real key that I wanted to talk to you about because I know you're a thinker. We all have financial plans. We have health plans, hopefully. We have life insurance plans. Why don't we get a peace plan, a shalom plan for our life? I mean, we can get really practical for those that are listening to us. Do you have a plan for peace in your life? And so therefore, you have to be able to identify the lies that you're believing. So there's certain things we need to rid our minds of. That's an imperative if we skip over to Philippians 4, 6. And then there are things we have to fill our mind with, Philippians 4, 8. And so it begins with truth. And so do I have a high view of truth as a Christian thinker? Am I committed to living a life that's disciplined in shalom? When you touch on John 14 a number of times, and one thing, I didn't finish the book. I just got it yesterday, so I'm a third of the way in. But you mentioned Christ peace I leave with you. I don't know if you get into the three times the word troubled is used prior to that passage, because Jesus talks about the waters are troubled, the troubled waters, paroxysmos, and it says he was troubled, which most people don't realize, but the Messiah is troubled. Right. And on the (laughs) heels of that, he tells the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Wait a minute, you're troubled the guy that was waiting for the waters to solve his problem, right? he was troubled. Jesus is troubled. Oh, you guys don't need to be troubled. It's powerful. Which I find striking yeah. because here's the God man who's troubled in his spirit, but he says, look, I have a remedy for you. Right. And that's different. The paroxysma is the trouble of spastic of life. So the good news is the God man understood yes, it. totally. He had lack of peace, lack of shalom, and there he's saying, but I'm going to leave something with you. Right. I'm teaching through Philippians right now, wow. and a little message that I keep recurring in my own life is, it's not just a book of joy, a fellowship, it's joy no matter what. Right. 300 times we see joy and rejoice in the Bible. No matter what. Right. So get moving me beyond in being happy, things. Jeremiah, how do I 
get this. I've got to think correctly. I've got to not believe in lies. Mm-hmm. But how do I then start moving forward to where it's not just, okay, Michael, put on a happy face. Exactly. How do we actually live it? How do we sense slow? So when you see Philippians 4.8, Paul does something that, you know, this is 30 years into his Christian life. And I think he really struggled with anxiety. You know, as, as you know, he was often called the Job of the New Testament. I mean, Second Corinthians is kind of the it's moniker. Is book. The, it yeah. is. I mean, he's Sad. he has all these challenges. He has people that misunderstand him. They don't think God's with him because he has so many problems. Beaten, I mean, can you imagine? Uh, day and night in the deep, all exactly. the things he lists. I have this sentence of death within me. I don't uh-huh. want to go on living. And yet, so I wouldn't trust in myself. So how do we get there? I think Paul was able to sum it up. It depends which translation. The translation I preached from yesterday was 39 English words in Philippians 4 8. Paul sums up Matthew 6, Psalm 37, Habakkuk 3. What an incredible chapter in God's Word. And he says that I have to anchor the peace of God with my thinking. See, the world wants us to lose our mind to have the peace of God. God wants us to think through, and I cannot improve on Tim Keller's quote in the book. He says the Christian peace is not by making yourself stupid. There's a stupid yeah. speech and there's a smart piece. The Christian peace is about making ourselves as aware of our beliefs as thoughtful as possible. And this is where the mission of our ministry, Christian Thinker Society, we want to help believers be as aware of their beliefs, as theologically aware of their beliefs as possible. So that's key number one to answer your question, my thinking. So the content of my thinking, that's the only verb that shows up in those 39 words in the translation I preached from yesterday. What is the content of my thinking? And then Paul goes right to the word truth, Dr. E. And he uses truth 55 times in his epistles. This is something that was so key for Paul as he had to focus, he had to fasten his life to truth. He had to continually come back to the truth. And I think so many of us, we get confused about the peace of God, A, because we're not committed to be disciplined, and we're not committed to the discipline, or B, we're not committed to truth, like we should be. And so peace is elusive for us. As you travel around, talk to groups and students, I call it experiential theology today. It's not a biblical theology. Uh, People don't read. Right. The technology is a wonderful gift, but it is also a problem. Totally. Because I can thumb through a passage, but I don't retain it. Exactly. A book and a pen... I'm getting a little more going on there from neuroplasticity, right? Right. So we're not thinking. Information is super available. And bad information, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just, I'm talking about the Christian input. Right. It's not changing people's mm-hmm. hearts. They're right. not less anxious. I have a number of friends, I know you do too, who deal with incredible anxiety and depression. Right. And I'm a little bit cavalier. I'm like, depressed? Don't be. You know, yeah. Yeah. I'm the Bob Newhart guy. Stop it. You know, stop yeah. it. Uh, but not to be unkind, but it's frightening and sad how many people are locked. And you list a lot of these in your text. You know, whether it's the lies we believe about ourselves. I'm no good. Yep. I'm not worthy of this right. thing. God doesn't love me. I'm a failure. I sin every day. Exactly. And that welcome to Christianity, if it's tough. I mean, that's really, you know, Christianity is a battlefield, right? I mean, it's John Stott said the battle for the Christian life is the battle for the Christian mind. I mean, Paul uses, as you're teaching, he uses these military terms. I mean, when you think the Praetorian Guard was probably 9,000 soldiers to protect the Roman emperor, I mean, Paul probably had that in his mind's eye when he's talking about how the peace of God will garrison, it will protect our hearts and our minds. These are battlefield terms. And so we have to go deep. We have to level up our Christian thinking if we're really committed to being a so, Christian so in peace. Let me, let me push back then. Yeah. If they're not reading, 
exactly. They're not going to think clearly. I mean, you're the Christian thinker society. Mm -hmm. So how do we provoke in a good way the Christian mindset not to live on experiential theology? Yes, because that... And get your nose back in the book. Yeah, this is such an important question that you're getting on right now, because... It is so dangerous. We have a feelings-driven culture. Yep. Everything is feelings. I mean, you've probably seen some of the, the news lately with some stars. I just didn't feel like being married anymore. I didn't feel like I love this person anymore. If you are going to run your Christian life based on feelings, you are going to be a, 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 wreck. a wreck. It's going to be a roller coaster. And so I have an entire chapter, perhaps my favorite chapter in the entire book, I interview this awesome Christian psychologist about, quote, what do I do if I don't feel my faith? Uh, because so many people that I talk to, they want to feel something, and then yeah. they feel like, oh, I didn't feel something, so is there something wrong with me? And then we've also done some other things, too, that we need to help people with some concepts. Faith does not equal certainty. And so when someone thinks they feel like uncertainty equals danger, it doesn't. Faith, according to the New Testament, is trusting God through the uncertainty. Right not certainty. Otherwise, it's not faith. God is not a God of guilt. He's not a God of fear. He's not a God of shame. He's the God who is full of grace and mercy every single day. Hey, let me ask you about that, because is there a good guilt and a good shame? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. It brings us to repentance. There's chastisement, for sure. I believe that. I've seen almost an overcompensation where there's this anti-shame yeah, and anti-guilt group. Yeah. Yes, that's uh, true. All shame is wrong. Yeah. And that's shame-based. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, well, yeah, that sometimes, you know, but maybe if I feel guilt, if I'm getting close to sin, that's a good thing. Ex absolutely. Okay. Well, it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He sure, convicts sure. of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But I, I'm, just, I'm just overly sensitive, Jeremiah, that we have the Christian life has already been hijacked by so much misinformation. Right. And then when people glom on this, you have feelings driven. Um, I've told this story too many times. A friend of mine, uh, one of his adult children moved in with their boyfriend and, uh, you know, they weren't raised that way. And yeah. he's a good, good mom and dad. And they weren't angry or, you know, like I might react to my kids did this. And, and he said, you know, this is wrong, honey. And, and she said, well, I talked to God, and I think this is mm. a verbatim quote, and we've come to an agreement. Wow. Yeah, dangerous. So, you know, this is, and I'm not just trying to vilify a 20-something, no, 30-something mindset, but the mindset of Western Christianity is is just palpably lacking yes. in a biblical theology. Totally. So we got to get them back to thinking correctly. You talk about renewing your mind, Romans 12, 1 and 2, one of the key passages. Think not, as you, not, not to think, but think so as to have sound judgment yes. as God has allowed to each, mm. right? So we've got to think correctly. And another cool thing that I'm thinking about, Dr. E, is I think, too, we gloss over the fact that, and I get into this a little bit in my book. I'm a Gospels guy. We don't know what Satan showed Jesus when he showed them the kingdoms of the world. Just think about well, there had to certainly moment. be a legitimate temptation. Legit. Otherwise, and he wasn't the God man, right? You talk about perhaps maybe one of the most save stepping on the cross. This could have been literally one of the most challenging temptations that Jesus the Messiah faced. What did Satan show him? And that's um, the final one. Yeah, right? yeah. Literally, it's like he shows him the kingdoms of the world. We have no idea. So when you start talking about intrusive thoughts and things that want to steal our peace, Jesus shows us that through him, we can overcome the kingdoms of the world, whatever that may be in our own life. And so that's where in this book, I wanted to, but you know, there's, a, there's a mental component we've been talking about. Yep. There's a physical component. We've got to take care of our bodies. So interview a medical doctor about, you know, the cheapest therapy we can do today, I'm not going to be able to do it because I got to fly home tonight, is go run two miles, literally. Or it's even the cheapest walk. therapy. Yeah, walk. Even walk, yeah. What it does for your brain. 
it's fascinating. When we take care of the temple that is our body, it will actually increase our mental awareness, our mental peace. It will, we're going to be more sharp for the king, and, and that's going to happen because we take care of ourselves. And so that was a lot of fun to research and look into. But then also, I just kept coming back to this. It is so important because, unfortunately, I opened one of my chapters. Christians were the only group that shoot our wounded. Yeah. And I just think that is such a sad devastating commentary again on Western Christianity that as soon as someone brings up that they're struggling with mental pain, it's like so many believers, they can't back up fast enough. There's so much stigma. Of course, that's that Greek word stigmatos. The word tattoo literally comes from, and there's so much stigma related to mental pain. And I think that's what Lewis was getting on. He was even capturing that and the problem of pain. And so I had so much fun doing a deep dive study on 2 Corinthians 12 and Paul, you know, he is caught up to the third heaven there, Dr. E. And this is a fascinating passage. He doesn't describe what he sees. He describes what he hears. Isn't that fascinating hmm. when you think about it? I had not seen that. And he, he wants to talk about what he hears. He doesn't even get to what he sees. Right. And then he goes right to the thorn in his flesh that's like a stake. And here, this is what's really interesting. And I would love to talk to you more about this. He hears an oracular form. That's the technical term. He literally hears the voice of Jesus answer him, No, Paul, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And he hears that, and I think it was the commentator, I want to say Ralph Martin, I could be wrong, who said, Paul probably heard that voice of Jesus echoing in his ear the rest of his ministry. My grace is sufficient, Paul, I'm with you. So think about this. Paul had at least four direct experiences of seeing the Lord, we know for sure, but we could possibly speculate maybe three more on top of that of seeing the Lord. What is the angel when he shipwrecked? Could that have been? Maybe. Uh, the Lord stood by me at the end of 2 Timothy. Well, that could be like a proximity thing like in right. Philippians 4, or maybe he saw the Lord. My point is... He saw the Lord, he heard the Lord, and he still had to figure out how to deal with the anxiety in his life. So you're not alone if you're listening to this broadcast and you're struggling with anxiety or panic. And, and the other thing that I'm passionate about with this book right now, our church today, and I'm talking about church globally, Dr. E, we are defined by a boogeyman or what we're afraid of, and we shouldn't be. It's like the Western church needs a boogeyman when we have the truth on our side. And there are so many Christians, they are so easily provoked. And yeah. one of the cool things that I think Jesus personified when, and I've been teaching about this and I've been looking at it more deeply, Jesus could not be provoked. He stood for truth unapologetically, but you couldn't provoke the man. Pilate couldn't provoke him. The Pharisees couldn't provoke him. His own disciples couldn't provoke him. But there's a whole machine out there provoking so many Christians. And I get it. You know, I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now. I get it. It's easy to be provoked, but God wants us to stay central on shalom, on yeah. peace, on the peace the gospel brings. I continually encourage our church to smile at the future, to stand firm. Right. And the anger we all feel, and we could just talk about politics and CRT and BLM and cities burning and right. did your candidate win or lose? Are you happy mm. with who's in the White House or not? And, and I love the obsession with what's the Christian response to? I know. now, I, And I have been seduced yep. in that in yep. broadcasting. I have done programs and asked these experts like Dr. Mm -hmm. Johnson, what's the Christian response to? Right. And it dawned on me after years of doing this, easily that's a stupid question. 
my response to something crazy in the culture is not what matters, my faithfulness to exactly. Christ. I don't have to be tossed to and fro totally. by the nonsense going on. And of all people, I love your illustration of provoked. Christ, I see him you know, before Pilate and some of these guys, what we see in the text is he's stone cold confident. Right. Totally. You, you can't fluster the no. man. No, you and can't. And the only time he gets angry is at the religious zealots who right. are teaching false theology. And and the key there is that was a show of his messiahship, all, conquering all, yeah, the temple. Yeah. He didn't bring the disciples with him. He didn't right. say, hey, let's all go burn the right, right. So, you know, if you're going to use that. And he stops him from overreacting. Exactly. You know, no, no, no. You yeah. don't know what you're talking about. Right. Um, I but, love that. So, so we look at the God man, but... And one of the things that, and again, I have a dear friend in our church, Chris DeVito. She's a lovely, incredible Christian woman. And she taught me this phrase, too soon old, too late smart. Hmm. Hmm. And at this chapter of teaching and preaching and studying late Jeremiah, smart. I'm wow. overwhelmed with, we need a better picture of Christ. Exactly. Because we're trying to live a Christian life that we have based on feelings, if mm-hmm. you, you said, or experience, or if I do this, I call it if-then theology. Yes. If I live this way, then I'll be at peace. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But no matter what, if I see who this Jesus Christ clearly is from the Scripture, Absolutely. a lot of this stuff will surpass comprehension. Totally. It will guard our hearts and yes. minds in Christ Jesus. And I think we are off kilter because we are addressing symptoms. We're not addressing causes. Exactly. Exactly. And so I'm depressed. What do I do to be so I want you to be depressed? And I want well, a quick fix. And right. I'm not willing to cultivate it. I'm not willing or honestly, we have to say this too, there's a specific area of disobedience. If there are large sure. tracts of real estate in my life that are not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I'm not gonna have the peace of God. Yeah. And I'm not talking about sinlessness, no, of no. course not. But I'm talking about a dedication, a consecration of life of our family. I had a really good friend, and we were talking about assurance of salvation and eternal security and how we teach that. And he said, I'll never preach this, but he goes, I have in my mind, God doesn't want disobedient Christians to feel assured of their salvation. Wow. <laughs> and we had yeah. a big laugh <laughs> yeah. over it. <laughs> it's like, but it's, like, it's really bad theology, yeah, yeah. but I like what he was getting at. Right, right. Because if you have this real estate, to mm-hmm. use your term, that we're farming for sin, right. we're addicted to pornography yeah. or it's materialism demonized. or consumerism yeah. or or we're, you know, a person who's angry all the time and we can't, you know, con- or depressed all the time. Right. It doesn't matter which one you would define it. That scenario would seem like, hello, McFly, you need to get this in order. And I mean, God knows it. The, the one thing I do love about your comment about, you know, shame and guilt is, and, and I have to remind myself of this, Jeremiah, God loves me. Amen. I'm a perfectly. I am a big fat sinner. Yeah. Christ still loves Amen. me. Amen. Same here. I'm a chief of sinners. He and still loves me. Yes. Well, I'll let Paul be the chief. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll be a couple, but, but, but seriously. But, you know, I, I think that's missing from a lot of the prosperity theology totally. nomenclature. Yes. No, you're a horrible sinner, but he loves you. You can't out his grace. I read somewhere in here, and forgive me, I have it all underlined about... Know, about I grew up with a hammer over my head mm-hmm. in the Catholic Church. The, not all Catholics. Yep. In the Catholic Church I grew up in, there was a hammer over your head. Yep. And if God's you did something, bully. bam. Yeah. So you watch out. Right. What a terrible way to live the Christian life. Yeah, and that's not the biblical God. Exactly. And, you know, I'd leave that God too. <laughs> you well, know, you period. run from him. Yeah, you run exactly. from him. And, you, and you're afraid. And you, I got to do a little bit more lest I get hit. 
And then the consequence theology of when bad things happen, oh, it must be because I'm sinning. Exactly. And can I share something else that God has really taught me? You know, my little sister's going through that, just to speak to your great point you just made. And she wouldn't mind me sharing this. They lost their baby at 25 weeks over the summer. Um, Wesley, they had a funeral. He's with Jesus Christ. 0.06% chance that it could have happened. And she's asked herself all those questions. What did I do wrong? Is there some sin in my life? You know, where are you, God? And let me interrupt. I think some of that is healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When a bad thing happens, it doesn't hurt to stop, drop, and roll and say, okay, Lord, is there sin in my life? Now, keep keep going. Keep going. And Jenny Lee, though, she's been going through this journey because, and this is where I think this vulnerability key is so important. Vulnerability is a superpower. And we have to turn our pain into our purpose, and then we're going to have the peace of God when we start ministering through that pain. I really think that. So we turn our pain into our purpose. That's 2 Corinthians 1 in my mind. And then we're going to have the peace of God, pain to purpose. We have to make our pain our purpose. And Jenny Lee is in that wilderness right now of Lord. I was on the phone with her recently, Dr. E, and she said, I'm just trying to have the faith to get through the day. I said, do you realize even the fact that you desire to is you're having you're faith? You're bingo. That's yeah, enough. you're there. Remember what John R. Rice would say? If 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 1% of faith is on one side of the page and 100%, and if you're just somewhere in there, you're good. You're good you know yeah. what I mean? Like we, we're so hard on ourselves. And yeah. so this importance of being vulnerable with each other, and I feel like you asked me a question. I wanted to comment on that because that was such a good point. It's no, it's not always sin. It can be sometimes, but no, it's not always sin. That's John 9. Who sinned this boy or his parents that he was born blind? Neither, Neither. but that the Son of God may be manifest among you, period. And so the importance of being vulnerable. And also, I want to say this to you. You made this point great. I mean, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of Christians who have had areas in their life of weakness that they've turned to their purpose, from their pain to their purpose. God's using them tremendously. Yeah. And you know, I think of the late, great J.B. Phillips. I do a deep dive on That's Phillips. That's a great story. Yeah, oh. I did not know that about him. Yeah. I mean, if C.S. Lewis, when he got his translation yeah. of Colossians, said it was like looking That's at a family correct. picture that had been cleaned. Beautiful. He sent it to his publisher. You know, there was a lot in the backstory. His dad told Phillips, said, you're, you're never going to make any money writing. You know, he sold millions of copies, by the way. He went to Cambridge, an atheist, came to Christ you know, wanted to translate because he's in the Nazi blitz of London trying to read the authorized version to his youth group. And, and he's they're saying not, they're not they're getting not connecting it. with that. And so yeah. he takes that awesome intellect God's given him and he comes out with his own translation. But even so, he struggled with, honestly, depression 50 years of his ministry. Well, and what was interesting reading that in your book was that was not spoken of no, and it was such a hard time. Yeah, his my heart went out to him because we can all remember those times we minister, and man, you just don't even want to be there. You're only there by God's grace, period. And I read this gripping story. His, his wife is literally just having to guide him to his book signings. He didn't even want to go, you know? And, and so what is the message for that? And vulnerability is important. God can still use me. Yeah. You know, it's Christ in me. It's not my perfection. It's his righteousness, his perfection in me, period. And it's the Holy Spirit wants us to keep moving forward. But can I share the biggest takeaway I've gotten from my, yes, it's a discipline. I get that. And I kind of knew that before I wrote the book, but I got deeper into that because I don't like the bumper sticker theology. Anytime you bring up God's peace, it's like a, let me give you a quick soundbite and then, you know, on your way. Here's where it really struck me. You know this, you write a book, Dr. E, and then you learn a lot more and wish you could oh, yeah. rewrite the book all over again. <laughs> Every sermon series is that way. Now I, I, mean, I literally, preach it's like, it now. Yeah. Now I need to write my yeah, book on peace. Exactly. So, 
one of the coolest parts for me of this book has been the fact that our ministry, and again, thank you for your encouragement in our early days, our ministry is known for providing evidential answers to the faith. You know, there are so many great answers. No, it's not a sin to question your faith. I love the fact that Jesus asks well more than a hundred more questions than he answers in the Gospels. There's 3,200 questions in the Bible. The New Testament book with the most questions is the Gospel of Matthew. I mean, the questions are great, and there are great, solid answers for the Christian faith. Boom. That's what our ministry is really known for. But here's where God has taken me. There are some things we face in life. There are no answers. Yeah. So we have to faith, and this is not original to me. I, I think this might be Wearsby original, but we faith God's promises, not explanations. Yeah. And we yeah. have far too many Christians that want an explanation from God. And, you know, when you go read those 56 verses of Habakkuk, by the way, one of the most misinterpreted Bible passages of all time, when God says, if I were to tell you what I'm doing, you wouldn't be able you to even believe it. It was about ready to get a whole heck of a lot worse. Yeah. God was raising up Nebuchadnezzar. It was doom time. And God, what he uses that onomatopoeia in Hebrew. And by the way, I love what Keller says here. He says, we all pray too religiously. When's yeah. the last time you prayed like Habakkuk? God, are you dead, God? I mean, go read Habakkuk. God, are you dead? Are you there? Do you see the plight of your people? Why are you making me do this, God? We pray way too religiously. So we Agreed. need to learn to lament. This is part of the peace plan in our life. We need to learn that God's a big boy. He can take our tough questions. But then Habakkuk says, I need an answer. I need an explanation. And here's the point. God doesn't give explanations. He gives a greater revelation of himself. And he uses that onomatopoeia, has in Hebrew, be silent before me. Write this down, Habakkuk, the just will live by faith. And one great Christian thinker said it took three New Testament books to figure out what he meant, Galatians, <laughs> Romans, uh, and Hebrews, to figure out what did he mean by the just shall live by faith. So I get done with this book, Doctor. You just, again, if you don't mind me putting, again, a personal touch on it, I get done with this book, send it off to the printer. It's COVID, so I'm, I'm like working out twice a day and just feeling great physically and find out I have to have colon surgery and have to have a piece of my colon cut out at age 39. No one can give me an explanation why. I wanted an explanation so badly. Yeah. Why is this happening? I didn't realize not to be, you know, I know we're all thinkers on the broadcast. Your, your colon can explode like your appendix and kill you. Um, and Dr. Morgan, Dr. Robert J. Morgan, he wrote me because I said, man, pray for me. It looks like I'm going to have to have surgery. He said, God's just taking you to graduate school now on the peace of God. So here's the point. No one would give me an explanation, Dr. E, but I lived on the promise that January 17th, I was going to have robotic-assisted surgery in Houston, and it was going to fix my problem. I didn't live on the explanation. I lived on the promise. Yeah. And so we need, and I talked about this in my book, Unimaginable, 7,487 promises in God's Word from God to us. Time Magazine, I found the citation in Time Magazine from the 1950s. I'm a big citation guy. On the 27th time reading his Bible, he finished it, a Canadian in Kitchener, Ontario. Instead of reading it the 28th time, takes him a year and a half to count up every single promise from God to us in the Word. It took him 18 months, 7,487. Now, you know there's always a Pharisee in the crowd when we teach right, the Bible. Right, so right. it's like, well, how did you know? There? I counted every single one. We have to have faith in God's promises, not in explanations. And I see this all over the New Testament now. I gave a message this summer after Jenny Lee, and again, this isn't original to me. This is Tom Wright. The way Tom interprets John 11, Mary and Martha look at Jesus, and they literally ask him the same question, if you had only been here. Yeah. And Tom says, we have to go past if only, kind of like we were saying, and live on if Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't give a reason. Years and years ago, I was in uh, Texas, and I had one of my mentors, Floyd Sharp, uh, was Mm. a Christian psychologist, and he had uh, continuing education where he had as a counselor, psychotherapist, and he would invite me on a time to go with them these classes. So we went up to Denton, Texas, and there was a, a guy that was, he specialized in working with kids who were in the occult. Now, this wasn't like playing with pentagrams and mm-hmm. candles. These were bonafide occult, satanic uh, mm-hmm. exposed kids. And some gruesome, this is back in the days with actual slide trays and carousels, and he was showing us pictures right. of some of the things he had been exposed to. He looked like a Harley Davidson rider, huge beard, mm. long, long hair, burly guy, like a Vietnam vet, very even keeled. I can't know for sure if he was a believer, but he said so many things that mm-hmm. kind of tipped his yeah. hand. But in the Q&A sessions, this was a two-and-a-half-day seminar, and in the Q&A sessions, it came up, and I'll never forget his answer, which is bringing this long story up. But he said, when I'm working with a child who's been abused sexually, who in some cases was mutilated, who was burned, who was branded with pentagrams and satanic symbols, and we work with those teenagers or children, the fulcrum is there are some why questions you will never have an answer to. Right, right. And in my life with chronic pain, wah, 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 cry, cry, cry. And I don't know, God's great kindness, Jeremiah, I've told people I've never asked God why. Hmm. I do ask him how. Hmm. Now, what do you mean by how? I never ask him, why did this happen to me? Why do I have to have another back surgery? Why do I live with chronic pain? I say, okay, how do I live with chronic pain? How do I not be difficult for my wife and my children? My four children have four different fathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah. you go through different things and exactly. you get older and chronic pain and you lose your patience and right. you spend time in the bedroom not playing ball, right. you know, and you have to look at God's sovereignty. I don't sit around asking God why. I say, how can I be a decent father, a kind husband? And you know this with triplets. Yeah. I say, people stand in line with hangnails to complain to Johnny Erickson Tata. Yeah, exactly. Who's in a wheelchair dealing with cancer right. and chronic pain for 54 years and counting, and they got a hangnail. Mm-hmm. And what do I do about my hangnail, right. Johnny? Right. And she never is condescending. She's never, oh, that's stupid, because we all understand your pain is your pain. There's no competition or comparison. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Your pain's real. Right. Right. That's between you and God. Yep. But don't ask him why. Exactly. You're not going to get an answer. How? How? Even even, yeah. even if you How's did, that wouldn't help yeah. you. Yeah. How would it? Because exactly. you're a big fat sinner who yep. deserves hell. Next exactly. question. Yep. Thank you. Next question. Bingo. Now, how? In his goodness. <laughs> right. How do <laughs> so I good, live Doc. without being obsessed with this yeah. anxiety, uncertainty, depression? And this is where I'm concerned with the feelings-driven Christian. Me too. Is because if you're stuck with depression or whatever it is, I'm not trying to minimize the pain of that. You will go nowhere. Exactly. Your feelings will betray you You won't every get to time. Shalom. No, absolutely. You'll never get to Shalom. No. Because you're going to be sucking your thumb metaphorically about, and I don't mean to be unkind, I was abused. I was neglected. I was abandoned. Yes. Fallen creatures in a fallen context. Right. Are we all? Are we all? Your sister losing a child, no greater pain in my yeah. estimation of losing a right. child. You're not supposed to bury children. Right. You're supposed to bury grandparents. Right. So we've got this crazy Western Christianity 
that materialism and consumerism and prosperity right. have made. And that's what God being equals good to me. <laughs> yeah. God equals answering my prayer. 100%. Yeah. I need a Bentley. And he's I not need, good if none of yeah. those four things. I need I need yeah. my triplets to all be yeah. athletic yeah. stars and yeah. get scholarships, you know, right. because I can't afford. And, and I just think back to my earlier statement, and I'll let you wind this down here. I, I think we have such a poor view of who this Jesus is, right. Jeremiah. Right. That we're not going to get close to his shalom because we have, you know, God made man in his image so we would worship him. And man's been making God in his image. Feuerbach said that. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what Ludwig Feuerbach said. (laughs) Um, What I would leave you with, Dr. Ian, thank you so much for this. This conversation has been so encouraging to me. When you study the New Testament, when you study the men and women who all had trouble, more often than not, Jesus Christ, and I believe in modern day miracles. Absolutely. And by the way, I believe medicine is a modern miracle. God yeah. healed me completely. Praise God for the Houston medical system. 100%. I Christian. So, so God Phil, healed me Phil, completely. Phil Hook years ago said, very cessationist guy. And he said, I have a friend who's a healer. He also happens to be a surgeon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amen. And um, Craig Keener even says yeah. that modern medicine is a, is a, is a miracle a gift. of God. It's yeah. a gift from God. And so at any rate, when you study the New Testament, you don't see this escape hatch from suffering. You see Jesus with you in the midst of that suffering. And that is his shalom that will carry you. And so I would encourage people, study shalom. Check out my book, Unleashing Peace. Let me show you those next immediate steps to experience that God is your magen. He's your shield. You can be Asher. You can be happy in who you are in Christ. I love that name, and so, me too. And so, at any rate, there's some fun, fun content that you can get into with your family and do it in Bible studies. And so, I'm delighted to be talking about it with you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Dr. Jeremiah Johnson, his newest book, Unleashing Peace, you can find it anywhere books are sold online. And you can certainly always find it in our show notes. And you need to look at Dr. Jeremiah's social media. He's everywhere. He's on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on other godless sites. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Toxic. Uh, yeah, toxic. Uh, to- but there's good yeah, on those right. sites, that's right? right? Poisonous and, sites. And if you go online, you'll see a picture of his gorgeous family, uh, these triplets, his beautiful daughter and son who were born before the trips. And yep. of course, I don't know how he ever got Audrey to marry him, I know. but I don't know how I got Cindy got to her marry name, me. Got her name off the youth roster of the youth <laughs> ministry, brother. That's how I got there. I re- stole that phone number. <laughs> and you just said that on the broadcast. That's right. That's hey, right. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Again, check out the book. Buy the book. Buy a stack of them. Buy a dozen of them and sign them and give them to your friends because we all need to understand what the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension and will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonamorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.